0: Christmas, everybody, and happy holiday blessings to all. I'm Michael Colon, a.k.a. the Brooklyn Trolley Blogger. Shameless plug on my part. Welcome to this afternoon's little get-together with friends. Uh, Without further ado, I'll bring them on first. Sam, how are you, my friend?
1: I am well. Another holiday season is upon us. Uh, and uh, I'm I'm going to be spending it with family, but also making some money. So I'm happy to be doing that uh, on this uh, Christmas day tomorrow. Excellent. Well, I plan on making this all inclusive. Just give me a second.
0: Let's bring on our partner in crime, uh, Rich. Merry Christmas, buddy.
2: Merry Christmas to you, Mike, and happy holidays to everyone. And, um... Yeah, you know, maybe the holiday season is the time when all Mets fans can get along because I know we, we bicker on Twitter and we go back and forth with, you know, that's a stupid idea and why do you like that guy? But maybe we could step back and, you know, for a few days at the holiday season and just say we all are for the same team, let's all get together and, and just enjoy it. So that that's my that's my soapbox.
0: That being said, like you say, holiday season, I want to wish everyone a belated Hanukkah. Uh, happy Kwanzaa. And uh, to all you pagan fans out there, I want to wish you uh, a happy winter solstice and Yuletide greetings. And uh, otherwise, happy Tuesday, as Rich put it before the show. Uh, Sam, tell us about Hanukkah for all the ignorance. Huh? <laughs> You're just going oh, to the resident Hanukkah. Jew here, huh? <laughs> yeah, you got it, man. For all the ignorance
1: out there, uh, and I well, uh, say uh, I, 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 I guess for for you know uh, 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 you know uh, Jewish for dummies as they say. uh, um, With the Hanukkah holiday, basically the Maccabees, I believe, were fighting off the Romans. I'm not the best Jew to be asking this, guys, but uh, I'll do do my best. It's been a long time since I've studied up on this, but basically the Maccabees were fighting the Romans. I believe they only had uh, um, oil for what should have been one day uh, uh, of of lighting the candles, and it it turned uh, into... Uh, 8 days uh, of of lighting the the menorah and that's basically where we get uh, 8 days for hanukkah and i i'm i'm sure you know this is just my own personal uh, speculation on it and how it became uh, part of of gift giving i i just i have a feeling uh, uh, you know there as as re- as religions fight they try to uh, you know in the PR, if you will There's always there's always PR level uh, to all of this And I think that the gift giving Certainly had something to do with Just the holiday season in general uh, Quanta actually starts on the
0: 26th Runs through January 1st uh, Numerous uh, noble principles Get observed throughout that time And, and like I said The winter solstice uh, You know, after From here on, on out Excuse me Days start to get a little longer again uh, And otherwise, happy Tuesday <laughs> I fun with that At my own expense <laughs> Let's uh, delve right into this, boys Enough with my nonsense uh, The Mets signed a catcher Wilson Ramos, uh, initial thoughts, Rich
2: Well, okay So in keeping with the theme That I expressed earlier Let's all get along and be positive You know, if you look at I have Wilson Ramos's numbers in front of me and his 162-game average over his career, 23 home, 23 home runs, 91 RBIs, 273. That's what all of his uh, eight years in major – or nine years in Major League Baseball, that's what it would be over a 162-game average. And I think any Met fan on the planet will take that, myself included. Um, if you look at last year – you know, his total numbers were, were not too far off of that. Um, you know, he, he, this is a guy who's an offensive catcher. Um, he certainly puts up numbers in that category. You know, if we can count on him, even if it's 20 home runs and 80 RBIs, you know, a little off his 162-game projection or his 162-game average, if you look at that against what the Mets have gotten from Travis Darnot and Kevin Ploiecki over the last few years and throw in Thomas Nito if you must, Um, it's a hell of an upgrade. It's a hell of an upgrade. Um, I don't think he's a defensive liability. He's more of an offensive catcher, okay. But the concern I have and the concern a lot of people have expressed is his durability. He does have an injury history. So as I look at his number of games played, for a catcher, a starting catcher, what's reasonable, 120, right, because they have to get some days off, well, he's done 120 or more games twice, in 2016 and in 2015. Other than that, he hasn't done 120 games minimum um, over his nine-year career. So that's seven years he did not, and, and two years he did. And on this team, it's just like of all things, right, it's so cosmic that this team picks up a guy who certainly can produce is will and if he does produce will be much better than what you have but what does he have he has an injury history and injuries are the bugaboo of this new york mets team so you know what here's my summary better than what the mets have had so yes upgrade for sure um i am concerned about the injury history but if he could stay reasonably healthy the mets have taken a couple of steps forward that's where i am with it
0: we're going to have to take two loops around this subject uh Sam, I'll throw out these numbers first. I'm still hung up on J.T. Romulo. Uh Over the last four years, Realmuto has averaged 134 games per season. Here's Manny Grandel, whom I wanted the Mets to uh, have no part, with, part in. Uh, he's averaged 127 games a season over the last four years. Ramos, just 108 games per season over the last four. Travis Darno, not including last year, that he only played four games, but the four seasons previous to that, he averaged just 90 games per season. So we just might be getting something here. Uh, he's obviously a more a uh, accomplished hitter than Darno, And as Rich says, if he can stay healthy, we have something here. I'll pose this question to you then. Is he a legitimate backstop,
1: or is he – another stopgap. Well, it's a two year deal. Um, so I think you automatically got to put him into the stopgap. The Mets could really use a durable young catcher who it, it can grow with the team. And unfortunately, Travis Arno has not been that catcher. Um, it's unfortunate because we saw what Travis Arno is capable of in 2015 and, and it's certain spurts here and there in many other years. um, you, you look, at, look at Wilson Ramos, and I believe he was injured at the beginning of the year, so the fact that he got 111 games coming off of an injury says that at, the, at least with 2018, he stayed healthy for uh, both Tampa Bay and Philadelphia, obviously Philadelphia in the latter part. Um, he, must, he was obviously producing, and Philadelphia wanted to pick him up, unfortunately, for their sake uh they they could not make uh, a run with Wilson Ramos at the helm um now i don't actually have currently i'll have to to roll it through the exact amount of games he caught last year i do know right now that he played 111 games and in those stats uh uh he hit 306 with a 358 on base percentage and and you know yeah the company line right now definitely has to be if he can stay healthy it's a major upgrade um somebody told me that he he has never he doesn't have one single stolen base uh, he's been caught three times don't care about that part because he's here to throw out not steal himself so that that is nice um you know i i think that when, you know, there, once again, there's a lot of ifs, ands, or pots and pans with the uh, the New York Mets of certain positions, Robinson Cano included. But at the same time, um, let's, let's loop around to what Brody Van Wagenen is doing. Um, and I'm kind of, you know, I'm playing the diplomatic approach with it because I think that people are right that the Mets are still in the exact same position that they've always been with the Wilpons at the helm. Uh, guys, but, but I know that we're going to get into uh, uh, Wilson Ramos a lot, but I'd like to loop around to this. Um, I have to say that I think that Brody Von Wagenen is operating around the Wilpon handicap pretty soundly right now. And, and Mike, I'll let you throw it to, you know, answer a, 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 as you will or throw it to Rich. Well, you know what? That's
0: entirely other Discussion and we do have plans, to, you know, to tackle that. Uh, let's stick with Ramos for a second until we just totally, you know, get rid of this subject matter. Rich, I'm gonna throw out a couple of more statistics out here. Uh, at the back, he did slash 306, 358 on base percentage with 487 slugging mark, 15 home runs and 70 RBI, and just 382 at bat. So the man can hit. I, I, I'm also. Uh, pleased that he throws out runners above league average. Uh, He's got a career 32% uh, rate of court stealing, and last year he upped that and posted a 44% mark. Uh, Travis Darnot throws out maybe a fifth of base runners, 21%. Now, here's the thing, as you alluded to before, which is his history of injury. Uh, there's a potential here that he'll prove no more durable than Travis Darnell. When he was in the minors in 2009, he broke a finger and pulled a hamstring. In 2012, he tore the ACL in his right knee. The following season, he suffered two more hamstring episodes. 2014, he was sidelined with a broken hand off of a foul tip, freak accident, just like Darnell. you know, by coincidence. Uh, 2016, he again tore his ACL. Uh, which kept him out of action for the remainder of that season and through May of the following season. And then, you know, the season that just passed, he demonstrated a lot of wear and tear. He started 111 games and 96 behind the plate. Take it away, Rich.
2: Well, that's it. I mean, (sighs) Darno's injuries were... You know, freakish injuries, you know, the one where they were in Atlanta and he was blocking the plate, you know, it, it's part of the game kind of injury. Um, you know, if that ball wasn't hit to that particular spot and that throw to the plate didn't come in at, at that particular angle, he wouldn't have had the injury, right? So, so there are injuries that are part of the game, and Ramos the same, you know, broken hand, hamstring injuries, all, all things like that. And, you know, do you write it off as it's the position? Or do you say that there's something with this guy that he can't stay on the field? And and that's a bigger question. That that just doesn't pertain to Darno, Ramos, and catchers. Anytime you see a player with an injury history, you have to ask yourself, is it the way the player prepares? Is it his conditioning? Is it he plays really hard and subjects himself to injury? What is it? It's hard to know. But what I do know is this. I do know that the Mets – catching is a very important position. We've seen it. And they're putting a lot of stock in a guy with an injury history. Because after Ramos, and I know we'll get to this later, you know, the Mets are shopping Darno and Ploecki at least one of which will be gone, hopefully for a relief pitcher. We've all heard that. After Ramos, there's nothing there. you know. So let's say Ploecki is the one gone, or, or Darno, doesn't matter. It's going to be either Ploecki Darno, or Tomas Nito. That is an incredible drop-off from Wilson Ramos and his 306 average and his project and looking at his projections, he's projected at 16 home runs next year and bat 282. Would we take that? Yeah, we would. Um, But the thing is, if this guy doesn't stay on the field, if he gives us 80 games, we're going to be going with very substandard catchers at a very important position. So stay healthy, Wilson. That's all I could say. I, 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 you know, defy your history wilson and stay healthy cuz we need you
0: Well, from your lips to Joan Payson's ears.
2: Uh, sam <laughs> all right let's
0: tackle your <laughs> let's tackle your issue uh how is bbw you know dancing around the Pond situation let me play
1: double the, that. the in mets the mets <laughs> what, buddha uh mike i said the mets buddha right mike
0: yeah maybe maybe <laughs>
1: Uh, I'll play devil's
0: advocate here. Uh, Coming into it, he said, you know, the Mets previously dealt with a lot of ifs. Uh, Is he not doing the same thing now with perhaps Ramos uh, and some other, you know, some other things like the signing of Gregor Blanco and Rajai Davis? Uh, Perhaps. Uh, Is there a question... You know, in dealing with Miami and Seattle, two of Major League Baseball's more desperate teams, should Brody have done a little better job negotiating with them? You know, uh, that's just an open question. Uh, Some of these moves outside of the Cano deal, which really boils down to two prospects for Edwin Diaz. Uh, Otherwise, both of them were agreeable to take each other's money problems. Is he not performing in the same manner? that Sandy Alderson did only in a more energetic and, 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 you know, in a more energetic manner Uh, because, let's face it, perception is everything. Perception is reality. And if the business model hasn't changed, well, Brody is definitely changing the perception and putting a, a happier spin and a bigger smile on his shenanigans to the delight of perhaps Jeff Wilpon. Enough said. Rich, what do you think?
2: Uh, I get what you're saying. I get that it seems the same. But on the other hand, I, I do think Brody is using his experience as an agent. I think he's using his just general dynamic way of going about things to be a bit more creative. Let's ask ourselves this question. Would Sandy have ever brought Robinson Cano in? I don't think so. And, yes, I get what you're saying, that Robinson Cano is, uh, you know, you take my bad contract if you want Edwin Diaz. I, I completely understand that. But Sandy would have never done that. I think we know and, that. And
1: can I, can I throw this out, Rich, about that? And I'll loop it back to you afterwards. Um, Robinson Cano would only be on the Mets had it been league minimum because he was released, not in a trade.
2: Right, right. Sandy would never willfully take in that kind of money. So I think you're seeing the differences here. Are we talked about it last show? You're seeing a lot of backloading. You know, they're saying, okay, we just have to survive the next two years, so the debt's paid down on City Field. Then we'll have a little more money. So we just have to, you know, we'll backload this. You know, we'll 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 do a money wash with Jay Bruce and Swarzak. We come out even in the first two years, and we can find a way to pay Cano in the last three. So they're thinking that way. As opposed to, oh no 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 no, we don't take contracts like that. I don't give out more than two-year contracts. Absolutely not. You know, Sandy was very rigid about that. And and you know, your comment about Rajai Davis and Gregor Blanco, the difference to me is that Brody has gone out and he shopped in the big store. You know, he's brought in Wilson Ramos, he's brought in Cano, he's brought in Diaz. These are you know, these are three guys with all you know all-star histories. He's brought in those guys, and, and when he's bringing in Davis and Blanco, he's not doing it to say, okay, well, you know, we're on a budget here, and we hope one of these guys wins a center field job. He's bringing these guys in as depth. So I do see a difference. I see the creativity where his being an agent comes in, because I'm sure he worked on several creative deals, you know, for his clients over the years. So he, he's under he understands backloading. He understands – thinking multiple years in the future and trying to work things out that way as opposed to having a hard line in the sand that I don't give out, you know, four or five-year contracts, I don't give out $20 million-a-year contracts, go away. So I, I think you're seeing, while the general thing might be the same, they're operating within a budget, I think you're seeing the creativity that comes with Brody's background. That, that, that's my opinion.
0: Take it away, Sam. This was your creation.
1: Well, yeah, no, I think the, you guys hit the, the nail on the head, and uh, we're all seeing the writings on the wall. If we know anything about the Wilpon situation, that they are staving off, they are trying to get as creative as possible and earn as much money as possible while they're still a little bit constricted. And 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 a hundred, what is it, ballooning up to 160 million? We're talking about constriction, and they are spending money. We've always talked about when it comes to the Wilpons, it's how the money is being spent now, obviously the way this current situation's money is, uh, is being spent has not come to fruition as of yet. And we're talking, we're still talking about a lot of ifs and ends and pots and pans. So there's, there's still, it, it, unfortunately with the well bonds, nothing ever seems to work. Um, but I don't think we've seen this level of creativity at least with with a first entry, maybe with the Omar Minaya entry, and and we understand, we all know where that went uh, uh, now, and which is probably why he wanted to be a part of the Mets family. And we've discussed that he found his role within the Mets family. So um, I I think that right now Brody has uh, much more room to grow because. When you think about it, Omar Minaya had been, and and you've chronicled it plenty on here, Mike, Omar Minaya had been building towards that level within the ranks of uh, the front offices, Uh, whereas Brody is coming in completely having built the ranks on an entirely different level. And like you just said, Rich, we're seeing a lot of that kind of creativity and and the way to go about a, a major league roster, you know, from, from, what he learned during his agent days. I think we're seeing that coming to fruition. I couldn't tell you. I'm not, I, I didn't major in law and I, I didn't major in sports business management. So I couldn't tell you exactly how it's translating, but you know, uh, it, it seems to me that that's some, something other than bringing some of his clients aboard like Robinson Cano. I think that is what we're, we're seeing. Uh, um, we're, we're seeing the ability to get creative and, and to your point, Rich about Seattle, Um, I don't think he necessarily got fleeced. I think that if you're, you know, getting rid of a cost controlled young player like that, you have to make sure that you are, you are building for the future. And I, 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 don't think everybody, everybody wishes that we didn't have to give up major league talent, made possible potential quality, you know, superstar, major league talent, but, you know Seattle needs theirs too, and they've they've got uh, you know uh, baseball to run on the opposite side of this this coast. So, uh, you know I I wish them nothing but the best. But you know you gotta you gotta make moves, and when it comes to Edwin Diaz, I mean that that's when do you ever see the Mets? Speaking of talking about, forget about Robin, Robins uh, Robinson Cano, excuse me. When do you ever see the Mets bring in a cost-controlled young player just coming off of an All-Star season like that? That is that is very rare to see the Mets do that. So that's definitely him getting much more creative about what to do about this problem. They what they what they end up doing afterwards is bringing in a free agent uh, Francisco Rodriguez and an injury, literally an injured, not even getting a a, uh, a physical JJ uh, J. Putz. That's what that's what happens in other situations amongst the Wilpons, and and so there's definitely something different here, guys.
0: Wow, J.J. Putz is right up there with Juan Sanchez. How oh, unfortunate. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> Rich, uh, center
0: field is still an issue. I'll throw out four names and you run with it as you will: Juan Ligaris, Gregor Blanco, Rajai Davis, and AJ Pollock.
2: You know that that's a tough one, Mike, and I'll tell you why because. We all like Juan Legaris. We all remember the great catches. You know, I have the bobblehead in my bobblehead connection collection of him pulling back a home run. You know, that, that's the way they, they depicted the bobblehead. And that's what Juan Legaris is. He's a phenomenal defender. Great, has a great throwing arm, very accurate, and we like Juan Legaris, but all of that. But the truth is, he's making $9 million a year. Even though he hit about 330 last year in a very, very, very small sample size, about six weeks, um, we're not sure about his offensive prowess. Nine million dollars a year, and he has an injury history. So, do you want to go with Juan Lagares here? I don't. I don't. I don't trust him enough. I don't trust the bat. I don't trust the health. There are too many questions for me. And on a team that's trying to be creative and you know trying to spend large amounts where necessary, but you know restrict in other places. I'd rather trade Juan Legaris and, and get out from under that $9 million and then maybe make a couple of other moves to free up a little more and then try to get A.J. Pollock. I, I do think now here's another guy with injuries, and I totally understand that. I do. But the upside of A.J. Pollock is more than the upside of Juan Ligaris. So gun to my head, I would shed the $9 million on Legaris. I do think the, Pollock's market will come back. No, he's not worth four years, ninety million. I do think his market will come back. If that market comes back to roughly you know thirteen to fifteen million a year for three years or so, I'd rather see them go after Pollock and Blanco and Davis. They're making nothing. Let them duke it out to be the defensive replacement. Because when you think about it. I don't know how you guys I'm dying to hear what you guys say if you think Legaris should be the starter. I don't and and if you would agree that Legarris is not a starting center fielder at this point, then why would you want a nine million dollar backup when you can have a one million you know, major league minimum or something near that on the bench in Davis or Blanco, veteran guys who could play defense, maybe not at Legarris' level, but still excellent defenders. They could play all over the outfield. I'd rather go with that setup than have Lagara. So my choice would be Pollock if the market comes back, Davis and or Blanco, however you know you need five outfielders, not sure that's all going to work out, keep one of the minors, I don't know. I'd rather go with that setup.
0: Pollock is 31 years old, Blanco is 35 years old, Davis is 38 years old. Sam, take it away. Uh,
1: I, I think that... I, I think you got to get Bryce Harper. That's what I think. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wish we weren't joking. But anyway, um, I I, I have to market. say, I mean, listen, I I think that it could be a random surprise, you know, the Mets being the mystery team, blah blah blah, yada yada yada, that type of that type of thing, you know. Um, I, I don't think that the, I think the Long Island city apartment is because he's about to be rich. And why wouldn't you want an apartment in New York city, even if you were living in San Francisco for the next eight years? Uh, I, I think there's many, many different ways to speculate about why Bryce Harper got an apartment in, in New York city. Uh, and, um, but anyway, you know, I, I, I think that going to the whole Ligaris thing, um, you have to use that asset on the trade market. I I don't, I think it's like 95% to a hundred percent what you have to do with that $9 million. And obviously other people are going to have uh, issues with the injury history too. Um, But I'm sure there's a team out there looking for a defender like that. And, and, uh, yeah, like you said, there's some, they're, they're, they're up there in age and, and, and some, in uh, some of those uh, players you just mentioned. But um, I think that, you know, A.J. Pollock, I, do you really want to take another injury-prone guy on there? I mean, you know, we're talking about so many different possibilities, but he is signing depth, depth left and right. Uh, so that, that has to be a good thing. I mean, you know, Gregor Blanco has one of the most famous catches in history, I believe, saving a, a the last out of a perfect game. Can somebody correct me if I'm wrong here?
0: My memory fails me at the moment.
2: Um, I cannot confirm or deny that. All right, well, I'm going to start
1: searching for that. But I, I, I think that um, – I think that that's the direction you have to go. And let's also throw out there that they've talked about Travis Darnot and Jeff McNeil getting reps in the outfield. Want to run with that one, Mike? Oh, bad. Well,
0: I think we've all made it perfectly clear. We hate when the Mets play people out of position. Uh, but we'll segue, we'll cycle back to Bryce Harper. And Rich, BVW, cycling back to him as well, he said. Internally, put that in quotes. But the Mets are the National League East favorites.
2: <laughs> well, they're self-proclaimed National League East favorites. I guess that counts for something. And um, and so uh, I haven't ruled out Bryce Harper to the Mets. I, I think there's maybe you know a ten percent chance, but I-, I haven't ruled it out. Um, I've walked back my previous position at the Mets' Stone shop in the Machado and Harper store. And the only reason why I say that is I, I, do, I do think that it was the Mets who were the mystery owner who flew out to Vegas for the winter meetings and, and had the, uh, the meeting with, with Bryce Harper. It's amazing how nobody knows who that was. It hasn't even been rumored. But you know, I, I know the Mets blog people are talking about how they think it was Wilpon. And if you think about who Brody is, and everything we've talked about for the last 28 minutes, creative, former agent, understands the concept of, of uh, spending money to make money, understands finding ways to make deals work for the player and the team. When you think about all that, I'm sure on, on some level, Brody is talking to Jeff and saying, look, I know this isn't what, we typically do, what you typically do here. But you look at the merchandise sales, you know, if we could get this guy with a backloaded contract when and we shed some payroll this year, a la Ligaris, shed some payroll this year to make room where we could bite the bullet, you know, for a year or two and then the financial situation will be different in the back in the back years. And I'm sure he's running through cost effectiveness models of, like I said, merchandise sales, increased attendance. Um, if they should make the postseason, the additional revenue that comes from that. Just think about how much
1: money they can make literally within days of that Harper jersey. Well, right. Around uh, the nation, not just in Metsville. All of a sudden, random people, random people are buying Bryce Harper's Mets jersey. I mean, think about that. This is the type of thing signing somebody like Bryce Harper could do for this franchise when you really conceptualize it. And this is why I'm getting passionate about it in the moment because it's like, Oh my God.
0: (laughs) A packed upper deck would pay for his contract.
2: It it would. And that's what I think is happening. What the hell do I know? Right. I'm a fan, but, but I I really believe that the Mets are being quiet about it. And, you know, they're, they're subtly, you know, bringing in like um, low cost players and like like Hart, like uh, Blanco and, and Davis, trying to get rid of, trying to get out from under some contracts. Like Sam was saying, I guarantee you Lagares will be will be traded. That's nine million right there. So if Harper is you know thirty million in year one, you've saved a third of it right there. You try to get creative around the periphery. You know how, however much Darno was making, you get rid of him. And uh, now yes, granted you have Ramos, but the thing is. Brody understands that stuff. You know, he'll, he'll find a way. My guess is he's talking to Jeff right now saying, look, these are the models. I've projected it out. I've done my homework. Increase ticket revenue, season ticket revenue, an upper deck full this much. Increased merchandise sales this much. We get to the postseason, four of the ten years he's here this much. You see it comes out positive for us. It comes out at a wash, whatever it is. Um, But that's, in my heart of hearts, I believe what's happening now. I don't think the Mets have walked away from the idea of Bryce Harper. I think you have a creative agent who is trying to convince a reluctant owner of a creative way to do this and using all the cost projections out there to find a way to make this palatable to the Wilpons. Whether or not it ever becomes that, I don't know. Like I said, I'm holding out a 10% hope. I don't think it's likely, but I do believe that's what's happening. and. Could you imagine the reaction, like Sam was saying, Bryce Harper jerseys flying off the shelves, not only in the New York area, but everywhere, and then spring training is packed every day, everybody wants to see Bryce Harper, everybody's wearing a Bryce Harper jersey, the Mets become the talk of baseball, it would be something, I'll tell you what, it would be something.
0: Well, with 50 days left (laughs) till pitches and catches, Sam, you're right about jersey sales and whatnot fans would just be raging with anticipation for the season to start.
1: Raging, just absolutely raging. I mean, like I, it, it, you know, when I was saying no to Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, and I just, I just, I just don't think Manny Machado has the same baseball oomph. I mean, they've been really propping Bryce Harper up for a very long time uh, within the ranks of baseball. I mean, he's all over the T-Mobile commercials. He's all over, uh, you know, Gatorade, other places. Uh, And, and not just, Bryce Harper, you know, who Who knows what kind of Bryce Harper deals that, that uh, play in the, the D.C. area uh, that have nothing to do with the Washington Nationals. These are all with Washington Nationals and Major League Baseball licensing out, not just Bryce Harper, but also their entities. So we're not just talking about Bryce Harper and, and what comes along. We're talking about a very much baseball-endorsed player. And not to mention the rivalry, which is even – you know, talking about, uh, him, the Mets just, you know, after, after basically Bryce Harper was the hope and dreams of the Nationals franchise and they never made it past the first round with him. Um, you know, and I've speculated on him being involved in that, you know, partially being the reason in some fashion because of his attitude, but maybe it was just an overall bad marriage. Uh, that just didn't didn't work out. But when you like, just I, it's really daunting on me what this could do for both, maybe even Bryce Harper, and just Major League Baseball and the Mets. I mean, it 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 could be major, and I just I I really want the Wilpons to understand this.
0: Let's uh let's have a little bit of fun before we part ways and get back to our families and friends and get on with this holiday. Uh, Matt Harvey signed a contract at the Angels. Your impression is rich. <laughs>
2: I, I root for Matt Harvey 100% every day. Uh, good for him. I was surprised he got as much as he did. I think it was $11 million with some $11 incentives. $11 million,
0: dollars. yeah.
2: Guaranteed with some incentives on top of that that I think I read. If they reasonably, you know, reasonable. and the got a good agent. Agent, the ones that are attainable, it could be $15 million. So good for Matt. Um, I think he's overpaid right now. I'm shocked he made that much. I would have thought he would have signed for maybe even a minor league deal, but if a major league deal, no more than $5 million. So good for him. Um, he gets a fresh start in the American League. I'll be watching the games and that he pitches when I can, rooting for the guy. Um, you know, he, he, he gave the Mets everything he had. And not, not to bring up that horrible memory, but I will. You know, Game five wasn't his fault. He he did what any competitive athlete would do. He wanted in, and that's what you want your guys to want. You want them to want in in the big moment. The man making the decision is the man who has to own that for the rest of his life, but it's not Matt Harvey's fault. Matt, I really think he is a warrior. I think he works hard. He shot himself in the foot with that day of not showing up and all that, but he's a good guy, and, and I'm really happy for him. I really am.
1: Yeah, I mean, what else can you say? I I think he needs to figure out the type of pitcher he is right now. I He just – he is still trying to be that, that fastball warrior, and he's not that guy anymore. And he, he needs to, yeah, figure out what he's going to be going forward. Of course, I'm rooting for him. I always love seeing – Matt Harvey pitch well. It, it's always fun to see Matt Harvey pitch well, but right now everybody eventually catches up or he gets out of his shell. I mean, let's, let's go back to that first game and something we were so impressed with, and, and he was in the fifth inning, and he, he had the bases loaded, and at no point did it look like he was sweating, and he got out of it unscathed, and that was the first time we saw Matt Harvey. And he had plenty of that when he was at his best. Now, he still had that fastball. This was pre-Tommy John and, and the thoracic um, outlet syndrome. And, uh, you know, he's just not going to be that, that kind of strength anymore. Uh, so he needs to figure out exactly how to own the moment. Don't be Mike Scott with scuffing the ball, but <laughs> fig- figure out how you're going to get a little bit more movement on the other stuff.
0: Rich? Uh, Merry Christmas, Bobby Bonilla, still collecting money from the Mets. <laughs> you,
2: you know, and I think that's what people who are hesitant for long-term contracts and, and whether you're a fan or whether you're in baseball, they point to things like that. You see what happens. You know, Bonilla had, it would be hard to argue he had any good seasons as a Met, and um and you're paying him, you know, 20 years after he retired, so that's why you don't give out long-term backloaded deals, and I, I understand that. But, hey, you know, the, I saw something, and I wish I had it in front of me, about a month ago of players who, are, who have been retired for 20 years or 15, 10 years, who are still receiving money based on their deferments. I'm not sure if you guys saw that, but the list is very extensive, a lot of teams are like I think maybe almost you know two thirds to three quarters teams in baseball are still paying people who haven't played for them or ten or in ten or fifteen years. So you know the Mets are the ones that, that get trashed for it, and maybe as well they should. But it's not like this weird unique thing that the Mets did. I only the, 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 the Mets the Mets get trashed because it's Bobby Bonilla. Well, right, <laughs> and I saw the name though. But I saw the names and who's paying them, and I've got to find it and get it to you guys because there are Bobby Benias everywhere, and everybody's paying them. You're like, holy shit, I forgot this guy played for them. This guy was hurt most of the time. He's still getting paid. It was an eye-opener. I'm going to find it and get it to you guys.
0: (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, Let's just get right to the final word here, guys. Uh, And like I said, wrap this up and get back to our festivities.
1: Sam, your final word. Um, my final word is, is happy holidays. Um, whatever happens in 2019, you have to hope and expect that it's going to be better than 2018. And uh, for, for my mind and for the Mets mind, one way or the other, the collective Mets mind, Merry Christmas and happy holidays, everybody. Rich? Rich?
2: Fifty is my last word. We talked about it earlier. Fifty days, still pitchers and catchers. I go through this thing basically every off season, where when the season first ends, uh, it's like when the dentist said, "Well, oh, I think we're done drilling," and you have that, "Oh, thank God, you know, it's over," because it's been painful the last couple of years. But then I start to get to a point where I'm really anxious, and I'm at that point now. I think it's partially because it's been a long time without baseball, by at least by my calculations. And I am pretty excited about what the Mets have done, so 50 is my last word. 50 days and counting till we'll get some pitchers and catchers.
0: Nice. Happy holidays, fellas. Joy to the world, peace on earth, goodwill towards men and women. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today on this uh, holiday eve. Thank you again. Thank you for all, all those of you listening out there. Uh, Enjoy your holiday, enjoy your families, enjoy your friends, and uh, we'll speak within a week, hopefully, and we'll wrap up the year that was. Gentlemen, good afternoon and ultimately good night. Enjoy.
2: Let's go Mets. Happy holidays. Let's go Mets.
0: Let's go Mets.